Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ball and Breakfast podcast. Uh, this is Patrick along with Wayne uh, kicking off an edition covering baseball, basketball, football as usual. Um, some similar topics that we touched on last time, but just with a different take. Uh, we're going to kick it off with the MLB. We're now in the midst of free agency. Uh, qualifying offers have been kind of uh, resolved at this point, and now it's just a free-for-all to see who will sign where. Um, we're going to go over the top five free agents listed you know, through Sports Illustrated, kind of where we see them going, and then uh, we'll talk about the implications for the White Sox, uh, you know, what their plans are for this offseason. And we'll also touch on the Kyrie Irving uh, never-ending situation over in Brooklyn, as well as NBA and NFL um, highlights, takeaways that we've seen over the last week or so. So sit back, relax. Uh, I'm going to kick over to Wayne here to uh, you know kick it off with Aaron Judge and where he'll end up signing this year. Yeah, thanks, uh, Pat. Um, so, yeah, I want to look at Aaron Judge and like potential like free agent destinations for him or who I think he's going to be signing with. Uh, I I also think he's going to re-sign with the Yankees. You know, I I think if he wants to be with a contender and you know they've offered him, I think it's been kind of recorded Steinbrenner's uh, like saying, "Hey, you want to be like the captain of the Yankees going forth?" Uh, I think that's going to be quite an honor. Uh, they're going to offer him a bunch of money, like uh, enough money, I think, for him. That's kind of uh, market value along with the Yankee uh, captain. Um, so I I, I just seems it just seems like that's like the best. I think fit for him is just to stay there. You know, I know there's been talks about, uh, I think the second place team is right now is like the giants. Uh, and it's like, yeah, I, I guess, you know, but they're not, they're not always contenders. They're always, they always seem to be up and down, I think. Um, so for me, I think it makes sense for him to stay with the Yankees going forth. Uh, they love him there. They really love him there. Uh, and I just think it's a great fit His personality fits, uh, you know, the, the area is never too, uh, uh, the, the moment is never too big for him. So, you know, I think he wants to bring like a World Series toward the Yankees and 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 be one of those uh, people that are just heralded uh, as a Yankee, uh, you know, for years to come. So um, that's, that's you know, I just think he's going to be a Yankee uh, uh, this, this, uh, at the end of this offseason. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I'm going Yankees too. You know, he rejected a seven-year, $230 million deal to start the year. You know, he, he wasn't coming off a 62 home run season. So, you know, when he did make that, uh, that you know, declination, uh, I think everybody was kind of like, whoa, this guy's really betting on himself because, you know, that's a, a deal north of $30 million a year. So um, going into this offseason, I mean, we're now probably looking at seven or eight years again. You know, he's a year older now, but he's – easily eclipsing, I think, $300 million at this point. Um, just depends on how many years folks you know, really want to give him in this uh, final contract of his. But I'm right with you. I was thinking Yankees and second-place Giants uh, just because of his hometown and you know the fact that they have money to spend. Uh, Farhan Zaidi has mentioned that you know there is no cap, but they're just not going to go crazy. I think he's a pretty disciplined GM coming from the Rays and Dodgers, uh, you know, trees of executives. So um, they'll be smart, but... Uh, That'd be the only enticing offer I see here. But, you know, if you could be, you know, an iconic Yankee, you know, have your number retired, uh, you know, like you're saying, be the captain every year, you're going to make the playoffs, you know, or, or really have a close shot of getting one of those wild card bursts. It's like, it almost comes down to like, you know, over that lifespan of the deal, how much, you know, enjoyment will he have playing the game of baseball and, you know, both teams are going to pay him. So just comes down to a gut feel. And uh, yeah, I think Aaron judge, you know, being with the Yankees long-term just 
makes sense for both sides. Yeah, I it's 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 I think that's a key thing. It's mutually beneficial. If there was some sort of, uh, uh, I guess animosity between Judge and I don't know the Yankee faithful or upper management or whatever, then I could definitely see something, you know, where where he would be like, yeah, I, I think there's maybe uh, greener pastures, but it's hard for me to be like, you know, what does he want? It's, it seems like he wants to win. It seems he he's uh, wants to be in a place where he you know people like him and enjoy him and. You know, uh, it just so happens he also had his best season ever. So uh, I, I think it makes sense, uh, you know, for the Yankees to pay up for him. Uh, and, yeah, keep keep this uh, show going. Yeah, it's it's just hard to see, like, if he's to walk away, what's plan B for the Yankees? Um, you, you could go the route of just gobbling up as many quality players as you possibly can with the money you would have allocated to judge. But that'll be just such a huge blow to that roster, um, that team, that fan base, everything. Um, not that I care, but uh, yeah, just uh, yeah, I think the Yankees, if pressed, will probably overspend here and maybe even regret the amount of money they're committing to him year after year. But it's like, you're kind of damned if you don't. So um, yeah, I guess that's the take for the first player. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then I guess next uh, going on, uh, I'm looking at Trey Turner. Uh, in terms of the big free agents there. Um, you know, I, I kind of dabbled around. He's definitely has, uh, you know, I can see him in different areas and different scenarios for sure. I think he's probably one of the more diverse ones in that sense. So of all the major free agents. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm picking this one because out of just the pure love and joy of the game, I would love to see him on this team. That would be the Mariners, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think him and Julio Rodriguez on the top of the lineup there with like that, both that speed and power that they both have. I think that's awesome, and I think that really sets up the Mariners for the future. Um, you know, they have uh, young, a lot of young talent, uh, so that you know they're, they're not spending too much money at right now. So I think that if they are looking for an impactful player, like they kind of struggled more so on the offensive side of the ball uh, this season, uh, you know, then I see that's where Trey Turner can be a very valuable asset for them uh, going forth. Um, and yeah, they had a lot of magic, I think, happen in the postseason too, and just in the season in general. So, you know, if I'm Trey Turner and I'm looking for, you know, yeah, more that uh, a team that I can make a, an impact on, be like a leader essentially, you know, now, uh, then that's where I'm looking at the Mariners as a potential destination. You know, Washington State, no state income tax as well. So you're going to save a little bit more dollars there. Um, so I, I definitely, for me, if I'm Trey Turner, I would love to see him. Uh, in the Mariners uniform. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be an interesting fit. I mean, that offense would, would take another step forward. I mean, I think they had a great year last year and like you're saying with Julio at the top, um, I mean, he's probably going to be a stud for a long time over there. So, you know, they'd really start to generate some runs and kind of back up that uh, incredible pitching staff they had. Um, I'm going to go with the Phillies for Trey Turner. Um, He's made um, a statement that he'd want to play on the East coast. you know, I think that, you know, my first thought was, you know, why wouldn't he just re-up with the Dodgers? But it seems like he's trying to make a push over to the East Coast. So um, I guess with that, what better way to, you know, kind of, you know, get back into it out in the NL East uh, than to partner with Bryce Harper, you know, having some time together on the Nationals. There's, you know, no doubt, you know, chemistry, continuity there as far as baseball goes. Um, maybe they're buddies. I'm sure they might be. Um, but you're up the middle, you know, for the Phillies has been kind of a weak spot uh, since Jimmy Rollins left. Chase Udley, uh, you know, last year they were tinkering around with Bryson Stott, Didi Gregorius, uh, Gene Segura. Didn't have the best of years, but uh, 
in general, I think he'd add a lot of stability to that, you know, um, you know, shortstop position up the middle spot, you know, even at leadoff, you know, they had Kyle Schwarber kind of out of position there hitting bombs from the number one spot. I mean, why not turn it over to Trey, maybe have Schwarber bat two or Harper or whatever you decide to do. But, you know, with them getting to the world series coming up just a bit short, you know, Wayne taking a nasty uh, shot of Malort there, uh, you know, they need to redeem themselves. And uh, I think they see that window as probably being right now. So, I think they'd be willing to spend that extra money per season, you know, to, to bring in a guy like Trey. Yeah. I think that was actually my second uh, choice for Trey Turner uh, because of that Bryce Harper connection. Uh, And yeah, he just kind of fits right into, to that organization where in that lineup right now, um, you know, where, yeah, it was, I think Stott is there, uh, their shortstop, uh, you know, not exactly a, a, you know, pretty good defense, but, not exactly someone you know uh, that can take it to the next level for them with the bat. Like I don't think he's he, he doesn't seem that he seems pretty limited in terms of his potential there. So um, that's something where I see like having a little bit more of that speedster, uh, kind of typical leadoff hitter in Trey Turner. And yeah, like you were saying with regards to moving like Schwarber a little bit downer in, in the lineup, I think could be great for them going forth. Um, but yeah, I I just really wanted to I just really want to see him with the Mariners. I feel like he's just fit in right well there uh but i can definitely see him with the phillies for sure gotcha how about uh how about another shortstop carlos correa oh carlos correa i mean yeah this whole uh shortstop carousel it should be interesting or it's gonna be like a basically musical chairs i feel like uh this offseason but i have him uh, i'm gonna go with the house uh on this i think the house actually says the betting like all the betting odds say the cubs so uh you know it, it for me it just makes sense like it kind of it kind of fits that personality vibe of like what Carlos Curry is like, you know, he's kind of annoying, but at the same time, you know, he's really, really talented, kind of like the Cubs in a way, like, you know, uh, great uh, market has this, you know, uh, four floor to it. But at the same time, they're pretty annoying, too. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely see like it seems like a match made in heaven in terms of organization, uh, you know, how much money that they can give him. Uh, and him just kind of fitting right into there. Um, so for me, I, I think I seen the Cubs are leaning towards the Cubs here. Yeah, I went with the Cubs as well. I <laughs> I feel like, yeah, there have been rumors out there. I just feel like the Cubs are going to spend, you know, an obscene amount of money this offseason just to kind of continue to you know push towards whatever contention they think they're in. I, I don't think they have a window here, but, you know, they have a good fan base. Obviously, they have deep pockets. You know, they're, they've shed some payroll over the last uh, year or so letting the World Series core go. So maybe this is a chance to to reboot that. And I just feel like a guy like Carlos Correa is going to have a harder time on the open market than some of the other shortstops. So I feel like, you know, the prime, let's call it one or two, I would say it's Turner, maybe Bogarts, maybe Correa's in that conversation with Bogarts. But it's like, I think a team that's like on the cusp of winning it all isn't going to want to mess with the chemistry, isn't wanting to take that, you know, that red pill and, you know, give over that money to Correa. So I think, you know, just come down to uh, maybe a couple teams making the first moves on, you know, maybe those top two guys, maybe top, you know, three guys there. And then Correa will find his landing spot with, you know, Chicago that won't have as much competition for him. Um, But yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I think, you know, that's a decent fit for him. He played for the twins last year. He'd look, perfect in a Cubs uniform for me because I just despise the guy. So like just not having to deal with him, you know, in our division is fine. If he wants to be a North sider, even better. Um, 
but yeah, I think uh, I think that's probably the most likely spot I would see for for Korea. Yeah, no, it, it it's it just makes sense, I think. So, uh, yeah, it, it'd be interesting, like what other teams would be interested, or if there are, if he does join another team. I think, um, you know, I I I just don't see him fitting in. I, I think like the Cardinals are one th- one other team that was kind of swung around. So, you know, if 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 there is like the Cubs being, you know, maybe they go on the on the defensive more so with Correa. It's like we don't want him to see him on the Cardinals. Rather, just you know, uh, sell a couple of seats here and there with them and. Um, just kind of take, uh, you know, his exuberance of, of bat flips and stuff, uh, you know, with them here. So, yeah. yeah, I heard the Dodgers are in the mix. I think the hard sell for them is to their fan base. And I think they're really concerned about that. That's why I kind of took them off the board. I actually think that Bogarts is a pretty good fit for the Dodgers. Um, if they you know, decide to really spend on a shortstop replacement for Turner. Um, but yeah, I, I just see that as being kind of a, just an odd fit just based on the history there. And um, I think the fan base would get over it. I think that most of us baseball fans watching the Astros win it all kind of got over it a little bit. So Mm -hmm. it's not to say never, never say never, but uh, yeah, I just think there's a better fit elsewhere. And, and, And maybe the twins too, maybe the twins, you know, really roll up their sleeves and, you know, if he doesn't get the offer he wants, maybe they enter into a similar deal. They gave him last year. Yeah, for sure. Um, Just moving along. Uh, uh, I think one uh, starting pitcher that is on our radar here, um, Justin Verlander. Um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you uh, talk about uh, you, you, Pat. Uh, who do you think Justin Verlander is going to be joining uh, this offseason? I'm going to go with the Dodgers. Um, this is one where I don't think he has the same, you know, sting allegiances, you know, that, that maybe Correa did to the Astros, you know, for the Dodgers. So I think, from a fan base perspective, they just want to win baseball games. And I think, you know, showing from the, you know, divisional series, they just didn't have enough firepower, I think, at the top of the rotation. I, you know, think they always come out with a very deep staff that gets them through 162 in the same sense. They need to maybe bring over a little firepower on shorter term deals just to like say, hey, when we get to the playoffs, we've got guys that are going to be intimidating when we stack, you know, them in the first three games. And, uh, you know, with with Kershaw kind of, you know, moving into the latter half of his career, he's still, you know, very, uh, you know, always puts up a good ERA, doesn't give you the innings. But, you know, Urias, it's like he is good regular season. Have we seen him really excel in the postseason yet? Like it's hit or miss. It seems like season to season. And then, you know, you had guys like Gonsolin and Anderson. Anderson obviously signed with the Angels today. But it's just like, you know, there's there's a little bit of, a, you know, um, elite starting pitching that they're missing, you know, when Scherzer signed with the Mets. So I think they steal Verlander from the Dodgers. He, you know, he did everything he needs to do in Houston. I think Houston actually has five guys they could roll out to start the year with. I don't think they have to make that, you know, excessive financial commitment again. So it just seems like a, like a smart fit. And then, Hey, Kate, Up- Kate Upton gets to be in LA. So uh, that seems to like it would make sense too. Yeah, no, I I had that. I had LA and, and him going to the Dodgers. Um, so it does make sense. Uh, but then I, I saw that they just sold their house. So uh, in LA, uh, and they bought a place in Florida. Um, now, there's no teams in Florida that's, you know, <laughs> good necessarily or that, that I think fit towards uh, Verlander and kind of what he's seeking. But, you know, uh, I think he wants to stick to that time zone, that, that area a little bit. So, I'm going to pick the Mets actually. So, uh, 
that, that I think that's my thinking on that is, hey, maybe they want to just stay on the, the East Coast a little bit more um, and, and you know, uh, just a quick plane ride down to Florida, uh, you know, in their off seasons, basically, or Verlander's off season. So, um, you know, I think that they'll move, the Mets will be moving on from DeGrom, who, you know, we can definitely talk about him later. Uh, and I think that the Mets are, are, they're willing to make those investments. I think going forth, I think the Mets are, you know, they really don't have too many pitchers, um, um, kind of on contract this coming year. You know, I know they just, uh, re-signed, uh, Diaz for the bullpen, uh, but I think they just have like Scherzer and like maybe a handful of other pitchers, uh, going forth into this next season. So that's where I'm thinking, Hey, uh, the Mets will be taking a, calling up, uh, Verlander and Kate Upton and figuring out, Hey, do you want to be on the East coast more so? And. Um, and you know, Hey, the Mets, we, we had a contending team this, this previous season. So, you know, uh, I, I think they, they would be thirsty for that veteran presence. I think in their starting pitching to go along with Scherzer and, you know, maybe Scherzer can also be kind of a selling, a seller, uh, uh you know, for them too. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a good fit, especially, uh, if our next guy, you know, can't be retained. I mean, if it gets to a ridiculous, you know, amount of years amount of money like for sure Verlander fits you know, into the Mets staff like a glove I know that you know Chris Bassett might be gone um Taiwan Walker I believe is a free agent too so it's like they're going to need to shore up that rotation if they want to make another push and they also have deep pockets and it's a fun market especially for a guy like Verlander and his wife so um yeah his, his career you know his his kind of years are numbered at this point so like I'm thinking, you know, average annual value's got to be what it needs to be. And then it's just, I want to win more World Series before, you know, I hang them up. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I could definitely see them at the the Dodgers still, though. So, you know, I mean, when you're a, a major league player uh, for any of the leagues, right, uh, they normally just get a rental in whatever city they're in. And, you know, it, there, was, there, was, there was a reason why they bought a place in L.A., so. You know, I'm sure they just enjoy the, the company and everything, but maybe not, you know, the taxes or whatever. So um, hence why they picked Florida. So, I mean, yeah, it, it could make sense for him to go to L.A. And, you know, I, I think for the baseball sense, there's a lot that to, there's a lot for uh, Verlander to, going to the Dodgers where it makes sense for them to make that investment. So, um, but yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think moving on to our next pitcher, you know, we have uh, Jacob deGrom. Um, I have him. I haven't gone to the Dodgers in this one, actually. So, uh, I was either thinking, I think he, I think he wants to go to the East or the West Coast, or I'm thinking he would go to one of the West Coast teams. I was looking at uh, between the Dodgers and the Padres, actually, in this one for Degrom. Uh, you know, in my opinion, I think he fits best with the Dodgers. Um, kind of speaking to all the points you were mentioning for uh, for Verlander going to the Dodgers in that in that sense, you know, getting that veteran presence. Uh, DeGrom, he definitely has that injury history. So that's where I'm like, you know, the Dodgers that they, they were like, okay, uh, you know, rest here and there, just be healthy, you know, come postseason season. Cause that's when we, when we really want you, we will have serv- serviceable, uh, you know, uh, starting pitching going forth, uh, during the regular season and we'll win hundred games plus <laughs> with that. So that's where I'm thinking, you know, they'll, they'll want to make that investment on, on someone like uh, DeGrom and DeGrom gets to go on a contender, uh, an annual contender, you know, a, a team that's, you know, a lot of people will favor winning the World Series next year. So that's that's what I'm thinking going forth. Yeah, and I, I just went with the Mets. I think that the Dodgers is a good pick um, if you if you were to leave. Um, I also saw the Rangers as being like the team that might just be the most silly, might just like, hey, 
Jacob 40 mil a year for five years or something like kind of stupid. But um, I, I just think at this point in his career, you know, he's made a ton of money. He's probably going to make a lot of money per year in whatever deal he signs here. I just feel like he is the Mets and he's got some un unfinished business there. I mean, as a professional athlete, you know, being committed to an organization that long, I mean, losing in the 2015 world series feels like ages ago, you know? And it's like, I just, I, I just can't see him leaving with, uh, with the team moving in a direction that it is with an ownership group that, that kind of needs him at this point. I mean, I, again, if it gets really silly with the years and, um, you know, dollars and, you know, as an ownership group, maybe you make a better decision. Um, but they just threw, you know, Edwin Diaz five years for one Oh two, which, you know, for a closer is like, that's a lot of money. I mean, you're, you're signing like an above average, you know, all-star caliber player with 20 mil a season for that, that amount of years. So, you know, they're willing to, to make the big bet. Um, and I think they're willing to, to eat it if it doesn't, work out with uh, DeGrom throwing 200 innings per year. But uh, yeah, there's going to be some contenders here. I'm interested interested to see how this one plays out. I've also heard the Braves are like a dark horse. Um, I mean, that'd be, <laughs> that'd be some ultimate treason there if he went to the Braves. But again, this is business and you know, he wants to win. And yeah, if he went to the Braves too, I mean, that, that rotation would be just lights out. Yeah, no, if, if he were to be like, you know, do like an FU contract with the Braves, that would be something. So, but no, I think that's a good point. I think, you know, if it really depends on what Jacob DeGrom wants, if he really feels like there's some unfinished business with the Mets, you know, he's he's given everything. He, I, I, I think that's what I'm thinking is he's just given everything he can towards the Mets. I'm thinking he just wants to be playing for a contender that he knows will be, you know, getting out of the first round of the world of the, you know, the playoffs or something. So that's, that's where I'm thinking uh, for that more so there, but um, yeah, I, I similar to judge though. I feel like I would love to see him continue his career with the Mets, but I just had this, I guess, feeling that he's going to go, um, you know, probably to the Dodgers or Padres. Yeah. From a roster fit perspective and the way that, you know, the Dodgers roll out their starting pitchers every year, that'd be a perfect landing spot for him because I would probably not want to give him more than a hundred innings in the regular season, just save everything he has for that playoffs, you know, that series when it starts to come. But, you know, it seems like year after year, the Dodgers are the type of team they'll buy, you know, a couple free agent starting pitchers, convert them into all-stars. It's like, and then they all like, they do like the six man rotation thing. Sometimes there's seven guys who have, you know, had, you know, about, you know, double digit starts throughout the course of the season. It's just like the way that they've, you know, built their team through, you know, a 162 game schedule. It's very smart. It's just always like, once we get to the playoffs, they need that, like that anchor piece, that one piece is going to be like really imposing, really scary. And like, if it's not Verlander, you know, DeGrom's a perfect fit. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, the only other team I think for DeGrom I could think of would probably be, would probably be the Phillies. Actually. I think that would be the more, more interesting one. Again, like all, I feel like all the other teams, uh, you know, for DeGrom, it's like, yeah, maybe within, within the, the, uh, the division, um, you know, that, that can make sense actually. So, but you know, with the Mets, uh, they're just an interesting organization. So, um, you know, hopefully they can keep DeGrom for, I think their sake, but yeah, I just have a feeling he's wanting some other pastures right now. So for sure. So that's top five. Those were the top five, you know, projected, you know, free agents out there of the most talent or whoever will garner the most amount of money, attention, whatever it is. Um, now, if you 
scroll the page down further and further and further, you'll start to see where the White Sox make a jump into the, you know, free agency pool. And uh, I guess Wayne, we can we can tackle this however you want to. I I see a few positions of need for the White Sox, but if you just had some other way of tackling this for free agency in the White Sox, their offseason planning, you know, feel free to kick it off. Yeah, I mean, I think in my opinion, like target number one for the White Sox would be someone like Brandon Nemo, like, you know, getting him on to the White Sox to think if if I had all the power in the world, if I am, you know, Rick Hahn and it's like, hey, uh, uh, I have a bunch of budget that I can spend now uh, since we don't have like Jose Abreu's contract. Um, you know, what, what can I get? I would, you know, basically print out exactly what Brandon Nemo is essentially. So, uh, player in his prime outfielder, uh, can hit, you know, I, I think he kind of has it all with regards to, you know, what the, what the White Sox are looking for there, at least for my initial, you know, kind of pick for that. Um, but then obviously I know second baseman, they probably want as well. Um, that's something where it gets a little bit trickier, but, you know, for me, uh, I think at least, the the, uh, n- the number one player to budget for would be someone like Brandon Nemo. Yeah. Um, from a top end perspective, I could see no better fit on our roster, um, you know, in center field or the corners, whatever you decide to do with a guy like Nemo. Um, the only, the only holdups I have when I start thinking about guys in his caliber or higher is the fact that they're going to get a lot of attention. There's a lot of teams looking for outfielders of his kind. Um, that are contenders that have money to spend. And uh, I'm just afraid that we're in a position right now where we've, you know, hit 190 plus million last season. We're now down to about 170 ish. And it's like, that's where Reinsdorf has kind of been, you know, uh, rumoring that he's comfortable with, you know, just based on last year's results and what he's looking at. So when I took a peek at, you know, what's, what's in our realm of possibilities, what are things that, you know, could actually be tangible for us. Um, I'm kind of of a approach like more is going to be better for uh, like more, um, you know, let's call them second, third rate options are probably going to be where we fall or maybe what's best for us in terms of how we match money with, you know, filling some of these holes. So when I started looking around, you know, if we just stay in the outfield for right now, um, I would love a guy like Jerickson Profar. Um, I, he, you know, 29 years old, came off a three-war season with Padres. He had some quality playoff at-bats as well. Um, you know, he might garner a three-year commitment, maybe a four-year if the team's willing to go to that extent. I don't know if that's definitely the case, but I could definitely see three years. You know, maybe he's making double-digit millions, but a guy you can stick in left field, you can stick at second base. He's got that versatility there. He's a switch hitter. He you know, can hit for some pop if you get him into a guaranteed rate field, you know, maybe he's turning 17 home runs into 20 plus. Um, Not the best on base guy, but in the same sense, he does have some speed. So, you know, could, could add a different element there for the White Sox. Um, But just, you know, sticking in the outfield too, I think there's a couple other things that I just fundamentally see with our team. I, you know, notice that we're pushing Eloy Jimenez to DH, you know, if we don't, make any sort of, you know, trade with him, which I think is the absolute best case scenario. I would actually pull gold Glover, Robert, Luis Robert out of center field, put him in left field just to save his body, save him for at bats. Cause you know, both those guys missed so many games last year that, you know, as much as I love his defense, I also love the fact that he can, you know, stay on the field. So um, 
with holes, I believe, you know, kicking off the year in center and right, it looks like we need a pair of outfielders um, as well. So it's, you know, guys for me that really stick out are like Kevin Kiermeyer for, you know, his defense. I don't love his offense, but I think, you know, he's from Fort Wayne, Indiana, grew up near, you know, White Sox Nation. So maybe there's a chance we get him on a one or two year deal, you know, very cheap. Um, I'm looking at a bounce back candidate like Michael Conforto, who missed all of last year. You know, he has the 350 plus OBP guy could play right or left, maybe a little bit of center field, lefty bat. Um, I think that'd be nice. And then these are kind of our last resort options on maybe one year deals, but a aging David Peralta, you know, maybe you possibly stick him in right field. And then Rymel Tapia just got designated for assignment by the Blue Jays. And uh, I've always liked his combo of speed and, you know, contact skills and then his ability to play all three outfield positions. He's a lefty thrower, lefty hitter you know, just add some, some pieces that we really need for this team. But I guess, you know, that's kind of my approach based on like realistic outcomes and in just my, my sense of what I've heard and kind of what I know of the White Sox. But uh, do you have any thoughts on any of those guys or just like the, the strategy behind it? Yeah. Well, it's interesting the at least Robert uh, moving him to left field and everything, just cause it's like, he is always injured. So maybe it is like, you know, we, uh, take him to or put him into a position where hey you're very talented we know you can play center field but just don't get hurt okay that's all that matters your bat is is more valuable uh at the moment so um so yeah no, that's an interesting take and I, I think that definitely opens up a lot more you know outfielders uh for the white Sox. i think um uh yeah so i i, I yeah i don't think i have anything necessarily wrong like wrong with those strategies i, I would love to see uh, a player like, Jer- like Jer- Jerks and Profar, I think that that definitely makes sense. Uh, some somebody that can get on base, uh, you know, is a you know is yeah, and and has a um, you know pretty good defense overall. So very formidable player there. Um, uh, I I don't know. I I feel like we we definitely need a left handed at bat, right? I think is the key thing. So whether that be at second base or at in the outfield, I, I think those are the key. That's that's just one of the key elements, or one of the key positions, or one of the key, um, uh, you know, hitters in the lineup that we're looking for is more left-handed at bats. Um, but then, uh, you know, budget, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it just goes to show, like, man, if if we had all the budget, great. But we are kind of a mid-market team, uh, and at the same time, uh, you know, we operate kind of even below market. So, and that's where I definitely feel like. Uh, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf, but I'm like, come on, Reinsdorf, how many years you got left? Let's just go YOLO on this, right? Give, give you know, some, uh, some, some money here. And that's where I feel like, all right, maybe he will go, you know, uh, get, get a player like that. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was looking at some second baseman though. Um, uh, as, as you were, you know, kind of talking there. So, uh, I definitely see, you know, some some player, you know, we're mo- moving on away from I think Josh Harrison. I think that you know another player out there that I think could do pretty well is um, is uh, Odor. Uh, I, I think he actually kind of fits kind of what we're seeking in that, you know, we he's he's, he's decent defensively, right? But he, he's actually a second baseman with some pretty decent pop. Uh, had a you know thirty homer season. Um, and he, 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 his hit homers and, uh, and double digits, you know, the previous couple of years. So, 
I, I think that he would be, you know, he's only 28 years old. So I, I definitely see he's going to be hitting his prime years and, you know, playing in a place like, uh, you know, uh, you know, or playing in a lineup with the White Sox. I think that he can definitely do a lot of damage and just fit right in there. So um, that's who I would probably pick for my second baseman there. But um, yeah, to what everything that you said with regards to, you know, the shifting and all that, no, I, I definitely think it all makes sense. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also at second base, I feel like taking a guy from the Mariners, um, Adam Frazier, you know, possibly if we can get him on a you know couple year deal here. I mean, he had an off year last year, but, you know, perennially has been kind of a, you know, pretty steady OBP guy, you know, average will kick in, you know, even before 2022, he had, you know, an all-star campaign in 2021. He's only 30 years old. He can play a little outfield too. If, uh, you know, we happen to put Mendick at second because Mendick had a, Pretty good year, although he bats, you know, righty, you know, kind of same issue that we've had with a lot of the other guys, just stack really heavy, you know, righty for our team. But uh, Mendick batted about 290 last year at second base. Uh, he's controllable through 27. So it's like, you know, as long as it's not Lurie, I feel like everybody will be, you know, somewhat happy. So I think that's a guy that I'd like to see them target. Um, if not, there's another guy that, you know, it's pretty much a no-namer to most, but uh, Jace Peterson um, played second, third base for the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, he's a guy with really good uh, defensive war metrics. I mean, he's in the top 40 for players in the MLB. Um, steady enough bat. I mean, his average will be a little bit lower, um, but in general has some pop, has some, you know, OBP skills there too. But a guy who's really streaky could get hot, but I just see him as kind of like this versatile piece, whether or not, you know, he's a starter every day or just a guy we can platoon with Mendick. Um, just like the, hey, if we can't get one of these guys, like, hey, we've got a backup here that that can at least be serviceable in a platoon split. So, um, yeah, as far as position players, if we just improve the defense, get a little bit more speed, you know, get some guys who can get on base a little bit more. It's not just, uh, you know, home run derby throughout our lineup. I'll be a, a really happy because, you know, we're going to, you know, kind of ban the shift next year. We're going to need a second baseman who can cover some pretty good ground over there. Um, and we need somebody who can like actually trust, you know, into our future, at least in like the near, you know, the near term, whether that's just, you know, one or two or three years, like we've been, we've been shuffling the deck every year since uh feels like a Gucci was over there. So we just need somebody who can, uh, you know, just be steady over there at the, at the, you know, turn, uh, the keystone. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And I don't know. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm. I'm optimistic though. I. I you know. I liked everything. Um. I heard. I heard from the the White Sox. Uh. New manager and everything. So. Uh. I'm very excited. I think going forth towards up this uh next coming season. Uh. You know. Now that we don't have Larusa. Uh. To kind of just sleep away this entire season away. So. Uh. I'm definitely thinking that the the bats will. Um. You know. Will. Come alive. I think this season compared to last season it was just so anemic and hard to watch i think uh so you know and hey there, there's also a lot of potential obviously um you know, kind of in the minor leagues as well uh, there's a lot of players i think that could potentially fit in so uh who knows exactly what kind of happens but i'm just excited that uh it's, it seems like there's going to be kind of new faces and uh a new light uh for this this team yeah and you know, we'll see what happens with guys um, that are currently rostered on our team salary, guys like Lucas Giolito, a Gavin Sheets. You know, if we're not going to 
you know, sign Lucas past this year or, you know, Gavin Sheets is no longer going to play outfield and we just need him to be, you know, first base DH. Like we're probably going to commit most of our time to Vaughn and Jimenez. So it's like, I've just been looking around and listening to trade rumors and stuff, but you know, I've heard one rumor, which I think is kind of nuts, but you know, I'd be happy about it, but just a one year for one year swap of Giolito for Tiasco Hernandez on the Blue Jays. Um, that happened to come to be, we'd have to figure out what we're doing uh, in our rotation. Maybe that's us signing a couple of free agent pitchers, um, but didn't hate that idea. I also thought, you know, Gavin Sheets, you know, just based on, you know, roster comp- composition and what the Mariners are trying to do with Jesse Winker, you know, could, could the White Sox step in and offer them Gavin Sheets and maybe Jake Diekman for their bullpen for a guy like Winker who's a little bit, you know, uh, coming off a pretty enraged season, seemed like he got in a lot of fights, didn't have a really good, you know, year overall, but, you know, a guy who can play left field, center field, right field, you know, the year before he was an all-star. Again, it's like taking some gambles on some guys that, you know, might be a little bit overlooked going into the year, but just kind of thinking through what we can do. And uh, I will say, if we don't get Johnny Cueto back, uh, I'll be really disappointed. I just think he's so important for um, just the chemistry uh, in our, our dugout. I've heard that him and uh, Griffol had a really good relationship in Kansas City together, so maybe that's you know to our advantage. And uh, if we can just sneak out like Sean Manier or Mike Clevenger too, that's my final say. Like if we could get just a guy who was at an All Star to Cy Young caliber, who just had a bad year, or, you know whatever it was. But like these guys are still in their younger thirties, you know, moving into some of their prime years. They had off years, but it's like we need to take some home run swings here with. Uh, some risky but high reward type players if we're truly trying to be more than just you know a division competitor you know it's like we've spent this money we've committed all this time and you know energy to building this roster it has disappointed us a little bit but in the same sense we won back-to-back divisions in 2021 so it's like it's now or never like you're saying if it takes jerry spending some money on a guy like nimmo like let's do it man pull the trigger let's go yeah no i'm all for it um yeah, I guess one dark horse, uh, you know, starting pitcher that I would love to see back, you know, if we do re- get rid of uh, Cueto, <laughs> uh, is uh, Jose Quintana. Uh, I'd love to see him back actually in the White Sox. Uh, you know, it'd be kind of funny to, um, from the White Sox perspective of getting him back. And then also, oh, yeah, we also have uh, Eloy Jimenez, uh, Jimenez as well. So it's like, yeah, you, we, we have all the pieces that, that we, you know, that we gave up. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd love to see him, I think, because uh, I really enjoyed watching him when he was with the White Sox. Um, and he, he pitched really well with actually the Cardinals, I think, last season. So um, that would be my only other, uh, I guess, White Sox starting pitcher that I would love to see you know, maybe come back. Yeah, that's that's truly uh, a realistic outcome there. I, I really do feel like there could be some momentum there if if it's on a one-year, two-year deal, whatever it could be. But yeah, I'd love to see him back in uh Back in the the cell, guaranteed rate field, whatever we want to call it these days, Comiskey, uh, for those that grew up in the 90s. But uh, yeah, man, well, let's hope the White Sox uh, do some interesting things this offseason, get us in a place where we feel you know, more comfortable going into the year. Um, as far as now, you know, it's, it's, it's looking a little shaky on paper, but um, I'm hoping they get there um, sometime soon. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I guess now uh, with that, uh, you know, let's... Let's hop on to some uh, some NBA talk now. Uh, you know, uh, are there are there any uh, storylines or, you know, I know we've talked about the NBA previously, um, 
you know, we've given some of our uh, preseason takes and now several uh, games into the season, uh, you know, things are shaping up a little bit. Um, What is your, what are some of your takeaways that you've been seeing or noticing so far? Yeah. Golden state uh, stumbling out of the, out of the shoot here. Um, The Los Angeles Lakers as well. It's kind of a West coast thing for me. I just like looking at those two teams and uh, truly like just where they're at and, and like what they're, what they're ultimately doing. I mean, obviously the Warriors are in a much better position right now. Um, just feeling like maybe some of the rotation pieces or, you know, lineup decisions haven't really worked out in their favor so far. Um, you know, they just sent uh, James Wiseman to uh, the G League. Um, I think that's a good move for him right now. And it, it seemed like he was pretty open to it. He didn't really see it as a demotion. So um, that's positive. Maybe he can, um, you know, just work on his defense, uh, work on his scoring, um, just become a true, you know, center, which I think, you know, a guy who can block shots, a guy who can you know, play good defense, give you some good minutes, uh, you know, early on in his career here and you know, see if he can get back on track. But uh, also just seeing guys like, you know, Moses Moody getting DMPs like on a constant basis. It's like, you know, are these pieces just, you know, those tantalizing prospects that we look at and we're just like, yo, man, look at this upside here. He's 6'9", he can shoot, you know, he had a great, you know, college run and like, you know, they got him, you know, as their 10th guy. And it's like, we all kind of gush over, what this guy could be, but sometimes, you know, reality and, you know, those expectations don't always play out the way you want them to. And, you know, maybe they have to look in the mirror and kind of, you know, make some hard calls if they get to the all-star break and they, you know, they're still middling at 500. I mean, I think guys like Draymond Green or maybe a Clay Thompson could be on the block. And, uh, you know, I think I've seen the Anthony Davis rumors uh, for those two guys. And I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't really, you know, I don't really love that for golden state. I mean, I, Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis and uh, you know, he's special when he's on his game. Um, Number one, he's got to be on his game, but also it's just like, it comes down to health for that guy. And uh, you know, I just don't know. I just, I I would, I'd be very hesitant if I were the Warriors to shake up, you know, your all time core and to make some really drastic moves unless, you know, it's really trending, you know, very average or below average, uh, you know, as we get through the season here. So hopefully they turn it around for fans like us um, guys who really like Curry Love Thompson. Um, just love that whole unit for the most part. So I think they I think they'll find a way. Um, the Lakers, it's just it's just crazy how it's like they're now three and ten as of tonight. Um, you know, November 15th, but it's like, where is this team going? And you know, will there come a point where they're like, Well, we're now deliberately tanking because we just want to get the highest possible pick, but it's like, you got to think even deeper than that. Um, you know, just with a guy like LeBron on the roster, like is, is this whole thing done uh, as far as like this run with LBJ and, you know, Anthony Davis, it's like, even if you get that first overall pick, it's, you know, Victor next year, it's like, maybe that would be the, the one thing that would make this thing move in the better, in a better direction. But in the same sense, it's like, I just don't know. Um, what to really expect and where this thing will go this year. I mean, I think a Westbrook trade should have happened over the off season and it probably will happen, you know, maybe even before the all-star break just to kind of shake it up and, you know, save whatever face they can at this point. But it's just like at three and 10 with that, you know, group of talent, I know you don't have the three point shooting. The defense has been pretty lackluster, but you know, Wayne, do you have any thoughts on the Warriors or Lakers or, or those takes? Yeah, well, I, I know with regards to the Lakers, I, I think that's the funny part is that uh, 
uh, and I don't, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of this, but I, I believe that the Lakers, uh, you know, they traded away uh, potentially this year's pick. I think it, it's like it might be protected to the Pelicans for the Anthony Davis trade. So in a way, they're tanking for uh, uh, what uh, Victor Wembanyama uh, for the Pelicans essentially now. So that's where that that could be interesting. Where if the, if they were to just you know lose all their games and everything, then potentially uh, he, uh, Victor could be headed over to, towards the Pelicans. So, but yeah, he re- uh, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense for Russell Westbrook to be there. Uh, it's nice. I think I, you know, I heard, saw that he came from the bench, you know, but he just does not fit that squad at all. He he's somebody that needs to have the ball um, either that, or he just needs to spend an entire off season doing nothing but shooting and changing his game basically. Um, so I think that that's my, that's just my thoughts on the Lakers. Uh, they allocated the resources or misallocated the resources they had to have kept. Um, um, uh, was it uh, KCP instead of uh, uh, Russell Westbrook? I, I, it just was a better fit. They just need to surround the, uh, LeBron with shooters and they really haven't. So that's, I think they're, you know, their misfault there. So, um, but yeah, with regards to the Warriors, I think that, you know, it is truly on the season. They're still trying to figure out, you know, the rotations a little bit. Um, looks like Wiseman just, you know, isn't cutting it necessarily at this point. Um, you know, it, it is it is one of those things or hard things in the NBA, right? Where it's like, oh, you're you're 21. Why aren't you an all star yet? So, like, you know, we see that with Laurie Marketing actually uh, with uh, the the Jazz right now. He's playing like an all star right now. Uh, because he's being put in a situation that is uh, conducive towards, you know, maximizing his potential. Um, so that's definitely where I, you know, it it, it definitely helps to have, be in a situation where, you know, you are either the focus or you're just put into uh, a scenario that uh, caters towards your strength. So, um, you know, I, I feel kind of the same way with Patrick Peterson too, where you know the the Bulls are operating. Uh, with Patrick Peter- Peterson kind of being off the ball a little bit more, where Patrick Williams, like, hey, Patrick I, Williams, did I, I see Patrick Peterson. I love the DB. <laughs> I was like, wait, but I did see Peterson re- recently uh, picking off a couple balls. But anyways, oh yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> He was a star yeah. last week. Yeah, he was like, yeah, I think he caught it. Yeah, like the last, uh, yeah, the last interception there, right? So, um, but yeah, yeah, Patrick Williams, uh, you know, who I've talked about a lot in this podcast, but. Yeah, like Patrick Williams, I feel like he, you know, he definitely, in my opinion, he needs the ball in his hand more. So he's a uh, former point guard. So, you know, he definitely is used to that. Uh, and then, you know, now he's kind of being doing, doing things in the pick and roll department more so of. And he sometimes looks lost out there. And that's that's still developing. So I feel similar situation with Wiseman, you know, as a big man where he's, you know, I, I think growing up and in college, right, he was kind of used to having the ball in his hand most of the time. Now he's playing off the ball, and and that's definitely a, a big thing for somebody to having to adapt their game for. So, um, yeah, and the the hey the Warriors obviously they're getting a little bit older, so uh, they're kind of they might be just pacing themselves. So I, I I don't I'm not panicking I guess too much if I'm a Warriors fan, but it, it definitely doesn't um, uh, look the best right now. So um, yeah, I think those are my initial thoughts. I think with uh, with those two teams. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I I saw the Knicks. It might have been the Knicks offered. I want to say the Lakers, like Rose and uh, another uh, Evan Fournier or something. And 
I think that was the extent to it for Westbrook and a first round pick, but it's like this reluctance for the Lakers to give up those 25, 27 picks. I mean, I get it. You've given up your entire cupboard, but if you're holding LeBron James and Anthony Davis, like you got to make that decision of like, Hey, this is, this is now or never. I mean, and and I feel like that should have been last off season, but they didn't pull the trigger there. Um, They're doubling down. But another takeaway I have from this is like, is, is the big three concept like slowly or, or like immediately kind of dying out of most like GM's perspectives? Like is the big, is this concept of a big three, like still something that, you know, executives and teams are going to desire moving forward. Like it's, it's kind of TBD at this point with a team like the Lakers, we got the nets. It's like, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. And I guess going back towards uh, the Victor, women yama uh potentially going to the pelicans yeah it looks like they they the trade for anthony davis they agreed in 2023 uh that they could potentially swap picks actually so ah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so <laughs> there is potential that all of this tanking could land uh uh victor web and yama uh to the pelicans actually so so there are no protections on that lakers pick um, I don't what okay yeah I don't believe so so yeah <laughs> yeah I don't think the Lakers want to do that because <laughs> if you paired him up with uh Zion and BI and you know uh, McCollum and the rest of that crew I mean that'd be that pretty be a pretty dangerous team uh starting next year yeah yeah so if I'm them I'm like y'all y'all better win and not make us look that bad so you know not get us the number one pick because I mean it's looking pretty good right now for him. So for sure. Did you have any takes from the NBA? Um, I mean, I guess a couple of my biggest takes, uh, you know, that blaze, the blazers, man, they're, they're looking really good. Uh, I think adding in, uh, Jeremy Grant, I think was just the smartest move possible for them. You know, I see he's like averaging 20 points per game. Uh, he's always been like a solid defensive player. Um, so, I, I think adding in him was kind of the missing piece that they needed to you know, pair up with uh, Lillard. Um, and then obviously Anthony Simmons is contributing a lot. I think I had him as my most improved player. I think going into the season, he averaged what 17 points last season, now 22 so far. So I think, you know, just the, the play that they're having right now is pretty, is pretty cool. Uh, it's nice to see also Chauncey Billups getting some, uh getting some love there i i think i might have had him as like maybe chauncey billups is like my like dark horse for coach of the year but right now he's looking pretty good like kind of being number one there so um i know it's like uh i, I guess like you know kind of a toss-up between uh chauncey billups and uh you know the jazz coach there so but yeah i i really like what i'm seeing from the blazers um and you know kind of how nobody really gave them a thought i don't think either of us gave them a thought I think going into this season. So uh, yeah, I, I love what they're, how they're playing right now. Um, I think in my opinion, Luca, I know there's talks right now between Luca and Tatum as MVP, uh, at least, you know, so far I think like most teams are like maybe what 11 some odd games in or whatever. Um, yeah. I think Luca is probably like my MVP for, I know he's leads the league in uh, scoring. So, which is kind of cliche in there and all that, but he, in my opinion, he's just been the most valuable player uh, by far. So uh, has been killing it. I think game in and game game out, and 
Uh, it has really contributed to, I think, uh, overall to, like, if, if I were to say, like, the actual, like, most valuable player. Um, in terms of best player uh, on the best team, I think Tatum <laughs> would win that in that uh, the Celtics, you know, are on top of the East. And then Tatum has been as good of a player. Uh, you know, he definitely showcasing what he did in the playoffs and kind of continuing that momentum going into this season. That's even without their coach and all that scandal that was happening with, with the Udoka. So uh, I, I definitely, you know, would think maybe uh, it, it, an MVP award is right now is between those two. So, um, yeah, those are my two takes. Would love to hear your take on my takes. Pat. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's nice to see Portland step out and, you know, play you know, not only above 500 basketball, which I think was in the realm of possibilities for them, but to just kind of be leading the Western conference. It's uh, it's, it says a lot about, um, you know, the guys that brought over, like you're saying with Jeremy Grant, uh, Anthony Simons, obviously there, you know, uh, Yurkich and, and Lillard. It's like, it's, it's a good core group of guys. And, you know, Josh Hart's there too. I think he's a real grinder. It's like, I'm just wondering like, what's, what's their ultimate upside here? Like, is this just a hot start? And then, you know, they, they come back down to earth a bit, you know, I, I do think they're a playoff team. I, you know, whether or not they're, you know, in the top six there, um, you know, I could see them being a five, four, five, six seed, maybe, um, you know, playing at the very, at the very worst. Um, but it's, it's good to see them kind of step out, but it's weird. Like if you look at the Western conferences, like which teams, you know, in the standings near the top, do you really trust to like go all the way? Because I mean, I think we're both, you know, pretty bullish on the Warriors, but in the same sense, like I think you mentioned the Nuggets. I think the Grizzlies up there make a lot of sense. I like Phoenix. So I like this start. I'm just wondering, like, the teams like the Blazers, um, like the Jazz, you know, I don't I don't think too much about the Mavericks, but it's like, can these teams really be, um, you know, Western Conference title contenders? And uh, I just feel like from the Blazers' standpoint, they're a little bit too small. Um I think it makes for a very athletic, fun team. It's got a lot of energy throughout the regular season, but I think when teams are really starting to take things seriously, um, we'll, we'll see them and uh, we'll see them how they kind of like step out and, uh, you know, adjust to to maybe bigger rotations, bigger lineups and, uh, you know, teams that have uh, just like maybe a little bit more experience at, at the very top. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'd be curious. What is your take on the Jazz? Do you think that they're going to make the playoffs? I mean, they're a, they're a hot start right now. They're what third in the Western Conference, ten and five and everything. So um, I don't know what to make of them. I'm like, they're playing great basketball. I love the way that they play basketball. Very team oriented. You know, I talked about Lori Markkinen. So I'm like, are they for real? Like, are are they going to be? Uh, you know, uh, in the playoffs, I think at the end of the season or is it are, are they going to kind of run out of steam you know our team's going to figure them out because you know none nobody i don't think anybody had them uh predicted them to be you know in the playoffs much you know let alone like i think yeah number three uh in the western conference so yeah what what do you think about that that whole situation over there this this team is very fun it's very fun because even in those mega deals that they pulled off, they were bringing in some quality, you know, veteran players. And like, when we sat back and kind of looked at, okay, here's, here's the finish of this roster. And it's like, you still got, you know, Jordan Clarkson. Um, you still had Mike Conley there, you know, now you bring over a guy like Colin Sexton, who's, 
you know, if he's not a starting point guard, he's, he's very much like one of the best six men in the league. Um, Laurie, we know he's a, he's a, like a consummate professional and he's still pretty early on in his career. I think he's like 26 years old or something, but it was kind of like what you're saying is it's kind of like when you have all the opportunity in the world just to play your game, like nobody really is going to sweat you too hard. Cause I think the expectation is like, this team's going to be trash. It's like, he actually just steps out and like, he's like putting up 20 game and stuff. And it's just fun, man. It's just fun to watch these guys like kind of come together and, you know, probably, you know, knowing that they were going to get dogged by the press and by, you know, mainstream media and stuff like, no, I didn't, I didn't step out and say like Utah jazz or penciled into my, you know, playing tournament even. It's just like, I just think, you know, when you actually take a step back and you look through the depth on that roster, you're like, you are missing like a number one, you're missing a number two, but you got a lot of threes in here, like a lot of threes or, you know, maybe some two types. I think Colin Sexton is like at the top of his game could be, could be a two type for, a playoff contender down the line, like a real true Eastern conference, Western conference title contender. Cause he always had the talent. It was just him and Garland was an odd fit. So one of them had to go at some point, but uh, you know, to bring over like a Walker Kessler and a Malik Beasley you know, from the Timberwolves. And uh, you know, I, I think overall, like you got that hall of picks just waiting uh, <laughs> to be realized over these coming years. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. Um, I think from Danny Ainge's perspective, like he's mentioned, like he's not trying to tank. He's mentioned that, you know, um, you know, he wants his team to be competitive. Like, why would he be upset that his team is 10 and five? And and I believe him to an extent. I, I think obviously when you trade away your top two players, like for a lot of draft picks, like you're trying to get the best out of that draft capital. But I could also see a scenario where he's like, well, you know, we've got all this, you know, this depth of draft capital. Maybe we, we swing a big deal um, this off season, or maybe, you know, some of these picks hit and, and then we're, we've got extra core pieces to go along with some of these guys. But uh, yeah, if I had to, if I had to truly put my money down, I would say this team evens out to maybe more close to 500. Maybe they get to the trade deadline. They're looking at Jordan Clarkson. They're looking at, you know, um, maybe, maybe another veteran rotation piece so they can say, Hey, we can actually get like another pick here, or we can get another really young player that, you know, is controllable over the years that we could, add to this growing core. But uh, yeah, I think, I think this is a, a, the best of a best of a bad situation for the Utah jazz. And like, I'd be really excited if I was their GM and just their fan base on like what's to come over the next, you know, three to five years. Yeah. It looks like they're projected to have three picks in this draft. So, and yeah, right now they're kind of in, uh, you know, kind of projected to be mid, um, uh, mid rounds here, so they they actually they have the Timberwolves draft pick, they have the 76ers uh, draft pick, and then they also have their own draft pick. So um, it'll be interesting to see like what happens. You know, whenever you, the, the NBA has like top level talent uh, in the in the NBA or in, in the draft, it's obviously like the, the talent level just kind of gets pushed down, right? So you know, we're seeing that with. Uh, you know, at, we've mentioned Victor and then obviously now there's like Scoot Henderson out there too, like really top level kind of players who are getting a lot of notoriety. Um, so, you know, if they even don't get like one of those top players, they can still build a really, really decent team. I think with, you know, the kind of the core they have almost kind of like how the Oklahoma city thunder are kind of doing that right now. Right. Uh, they do have like a star and Shay Gildas Alexander, but I think just adding more pieces around that person, just 
having a bunch of young, talented players. And then, you know, hey, maybe eventually they do make a big trade uh, for, you know, uh, uh, kind of like a player like a Donovan Mitchell, right? So maybe that is something that they are seeking forth in, in the future, again, with all these picks that they have. Because, hey, you know, you can have like uh, a team full of like late round, first round draft picks, but odds are, you know, not one of those. Uh, you're going to need a star eventually to come in the NBA and, Sometimes those late round draft picks just aren't going to pan out as like a as a you know a star uh, in the NBA. So um, that's where I'm thinking that uh, the Jazz are kind of headed. Uh, but yeah, if I, I it, it, it'll be interesting to see though. It's like come like uh, trade deadline time, and they're like you know like maybe the seventh, eighth seed. I do wonder if Danny Ainge will be like that's a hell of a thing. Let's just get rid of all these guys now and kind of <laughs> go all you know uh, uh, full blown uh, makeover. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. And, uh, you know, if it's not this offseason, it's like if the Timberwolves, for example, you know, just barely scratch into the play-in tournament, you know, what's to say that, you know, the next season after that, they're not god-awful? Because it's like, you know, you made that all-in move and it's like you just don't have the depth or, you know, these pieces just really don't work together. They're disgruntled. You know, maybe Cat wants a trade. Maybe Ant wants a trade, whatever it is. And then it's like Utah's just rolling in those high Minnesota picks for a while. and you know, like you're saying, if they unload some guys just to position themselves a little better, like then they can double dip or whatever, you know, it could be. So uh, they're in the best of, uh, yeah, again, like not not the position that I think most franchise wanted to be in, you know, just because it's Utah. It's hard to attract like the top bill free agents and stuff. But like if they can just build strength in numbers over time, like this team could be competitive, uh, you know, in the, in the near future. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um... Is there any other NBA news you want to discuss? <laughs> you know, we we've got to we've got to touch on Kyrie Irving again. Um, he's going on Game Seven, absent from the team. Uh, he had a list of things that he had to accomplish. Um, you know, there was some criticism about it, obviously, just from a you know racial perspective, as far as like, hey, this is kind of uh, you know going over you know overblown as far as. Uh, you know, somebody having to redeem themselves over, you know, already apologizing for the um, perceived anti-Semitic uh, remarks they made through uh, his tweet and his his interviews and stuff. So, you know, at this point, uh, seven games on, you know, it seems like LeBron spoken up, said, said it was excessive. You know, Jalen Brown, uh, the head of the NL- NBA um, Players Association, also said it was excessive. But then we've got some guys like, you know, Jalen Rose and um, Charles Barkley who have actually kind of pushed back and, you know, think that, you know, perhaps, you know, this is acceptable or, you know, this is, uh, I don't want to say it's acceptable, like based on, you know, these terms, but just in the sense of like, Hey, you know, you did the crime. Here's, here's some of the penalty. And like, you know, they shouldn't feel bad about themselves siding with the NBA in this perspective, like an Adam Silver or Joe side, because, you know, it's uh Kyrie Irving from the same race. It's like, Hey, I'm just seeing, you know, this for what it is. And like, I think this punishment uh, kind of fits what he did, but uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'll, I'll just kind of put it out there. But uh, do you have any thoughts on his suspension right now or some of the reaction that's, that's going around? Yeah. And I forget who mentioned it, but I, I did kind of side with, with uh, I guess this perspective of, you know, this whole like five things or whatever that you need to do before you like, uh, before you know you can come back to the um to playing and everything and we and you know we pay you um 
I get, you know, the whole it's legal, it's kind of within the right and all that, but in a way, it's kind of childish in a way. Like you're, I don't know, like you're punishing a kid or whatever. You're like, all right, yeah, you need to do these things, and then and then you can get your ball back and you can play with Timmy or whatever. Like I don't know, I, I feel like it's 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 a little bit um kind of childish in that sense, uh, or like parent, you know, trying to discipline a child. And you know, I I and I think uh um was it Joseph side the the owner of the Met, of the Nets. Um, you know, I think he had dinner with Kyrie and it was like, okay, Kyrie's not anti-Semitic. You know, he's stated all that. So it's like, okay, glad that we got that all straight. Um, but then it's like, okay, you still have to do all these things. Uh, and then I, I think, you know, I believe one of those stipulations were that the, he needed to donate $500,000, um, uh, was it to the anti-defamation league, I believe. And I, I believe the anti-defamation league was like, no, we actually we don't want that because we don't like you, Kyrie. So, so now it's like okay, uh, he if he were to play, you know, he's trying to play ball. If you know, pardon the pun there, uh, but you know, the all the stakeholders in this whole thing are not playing ball with him necessarily. So that's where I feel like this whole thing is kind of being childish. In a way, it's like it's I think somebody called it the Barbara Streisand effect, right? Where. Uh, more like i don't know what the revenue is that's happening for this documentary but uh nobody knew this documentary that's been out for like four years but now they do and like i think amazon's charging like five times what it was before so you know <laughs> and nobody cares what amazon does or what you know um yeah jeff bezos is doing i guess there but yeah like it, it's just to me it's become this whole mess that it's like it's almost like they're trying to like make uh Kyrie, I don't want to say look like a martyr. Um, because in my honest truth, like I feel like with the whole Kyrie situation, it definitely was it it, it has gone uh uh blown kind of out of I guess the contextual portion maybe is a more appropriate thing to do there. Mm-hmm. Um just that it they've they've made the movie that nobody knew of before uh more notable than anything else. Um and on top of that they've kind of you know, made uh, Kyrie like they've acted in a way they being like the Nets organization, the NBA, um, the media, they've basically acted in a way that has made uh, themselves look bad uh, almost as much as Kyrie has, you know, towards, I guess, the general public media and all that. So I think that's where I'm like, wow, I can't believe that, (laughs) you know, it, 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 there, there's a lot of, you know, I guess, comments that, you know, I see on social media. It's like they've kind of proven Kyrie's point about this whole, like, ah, you know, conspiracies and stuff. So that's where I'm like, they're almost feeding, feeding fuel to the fire. Um, and yeah, it's con, it's just really caused a lot more, uh, I think, separation amongst people, you know, and, and groups of people. And that's where I feel like, you know, this is all, <laughs> what are we all trying to do here exactly? So I think, uh, everything's just been escalated more so than I think it ought to have been. Um, I think there just had to have been a conversation between Kyrie, you know, maybe some, um, you know, maybe somebody from the Jewish community invited Kyrie over just to have a nice conversation, talk things through. And then, you know, uh, if he wants to issue a statement afterwards, great. Um, If he doesn't, that's totally fine as well. So I think something like that ought to have taken place more so of rather than like, ah, he's anti-Semitic. Let's suspend him. Let's see. Like, to me, that just makes it like look all bad on the organizations that yeah, I guess Kyrie is associated with here. So, 
Yeah, I I got I get the line that you're going on here when you're like, let's stay within the context of what he actually did and the penalties receiving for that actual action. It's just it's funny because that one action is preceded by so many other actions that were irritants that kept him off the basketball court, that kept him in the spotlight representing the Nets organization, other organizations prior in a negative light. You know, we don't know the amount of headaches that these owners have to go through. The players have to go through. The coaches have to go through when one of these things, you know, blows out. And it's like, once you see this pattern of somebody doing something, that's just like, it's not, it's not basketball related anymore. And it's just about this guy's like opinions or, you know, his, his, you know, following or whatever else it is, his pocketbooks, et cetera. It's like, you've now become like beyond an irritant. Like we're trying to figure out, you know, what we can do with you as an asset, because, you know, if you weren't so damn talented, like you'd just be cut, you know, you would be just completely removed from this situation. We trade you for the highest bid possible and we, you know, offload you, but it's like, because Kyrie is so talented, you know, it's, it's this fine line, this fine dance that they have to play with every single one of these situations. So yeah, I think a five game minimum suspension with some sort of like oversight on whether or not they feel like he's in a position to play after that probably would have been enough. You know, do you need to have this list of five demands? Like, no, I think that was totally to pull his pants down, um, you know, in the national spotlight to say, Hey, you know, you've, you've done things that make us look bad. Like it's our turn to embarrass you. And how does it feel? You know? So it's like, this is just a war between organization and player at this point. Um, One thing I thought was, you know, just interesting. And it's kind of like coming back to like, I guess this line of like, you know, is he not in his right to make this anti-Semitic um, post and kind of not acknowledge up front right away that he's not anti-Semitic? Like, I think, you know, Shannon Sharp put it out there that, uh, you know, when this happens conversely to, you know, it's hate against an African-American um, or just African-Americans as a group of people, like there are no consequences like, in sports. And I, I kind of like... I get the bigger point that he's making, you know, I think that African-Americans over the course of, you know, civilization have been, you know, one of the most devastated races um, of mankind. It, it's, it's one of those things that where we've seen Don Imus be taken off the radio. We've seen Donald Sterling and Robert Sarver lose their franchises. We've seen Myers Leonard who also made anti-Semitic comments. He's never, you know, stepped back on the court again. And, uh, you know, Riley Cooper also, you know, dropped a bunch of N-bombs at a concert. He's no longer or was no longer playing football very much after he made those statements. So I think, you know, people rushing to the aid of Kyrie Irving over this in support of and kind of like, you know, um, it's Kyrie and us versus the world. It's like, I just wish they'd pick a better representative if they if they want to like <laughs> have sympathy for somebody in their situation or have sympathy for wrongdoings that have affected them uh, like as part of their culture, part of United States history, whatever it is. Like, I think we were talking about this, but if this was LeBron James or, you know, um, just trying to think of, you know, a Jason Tatum that made these Mm -hmm. comments or a Chris Paul or Dwayne Wade in his prime, I think that everybody would look at this situation much differently. They'd say, okay, that's kind of awkward. I wish he didn't put that out there. Uh, Let's figure out why. Um, okay, he's having a little bit of back and forth here. He doesn't want to admit fault. He doesn't want to show um, that he was wrong in the situation, but then ultimately comes to apologize. I think a guy like LeBron James wouldn't even get a game suspension. He'd get 
just scrutinized a little bit in the press. And then once, you know, they finally got to, you know, an apology, I think it had been over. But uh, I think this is very much more than just a uh, a one time within the con, you know, fines of what we're looking at kind of situation where it's like, this is a person with a history of, you know, these types of uh, negative patterns that ultimately just keep them off the floor and, you know, create toxicity in locker rooms and stuff. And, uh, you know, I know Kyrie is a good person deep down. So I know he does a lot for um, the African-American community. I know he's like very much giving and he's trying to put out, you know, I guess his best word, his best advice uh, to the world in that sense and how he perceives it. But uh, yeah, I think we've just gotten to a point where outside of this suspension, what possibly should be over at this point is kind of lingered on, but it's like, it really comes down to even when he's out of the suspension, like, what do you do with him? Exactly. And it's like, okay, after this whole suspension, um, is he going to be, is he going to get the proper minutes or all that? Is he, is he going to, like, is this going to affect his play? Like he's always been really, really good about all that, but um, it, yeah, it just goes to like, like, okay, are we still going to be competing for the NBA finals or what? Uh, Cause I don't, I, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't know. Um, you know. There's a, there's a lot of distractions here, I think for, for them, you know, as I guess opposed to, you know, teams that are competing um, just, you know, head, head down towards, you know, winning a championship. So that's where I'm like, man, you know, it, I think that's where this conflict is, where it's, uh, you know, championship contender versus, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, uh, a team that's kind of just in disarray. So, and this, and I'm, I do wonder if like, what does Kevin Durant think about all this? Like, honestly, so, uh, and it, he, he kind of teetered about like wanting to be traded, I think, right this off season. And, these might be the kind of the reasons why of you know just working with uh you know players like Kyrie and and then Ben Simmons as well just everybody has kind of their own thing and distractions compared to like you know the overall goal I think uh, you know maybe like Kevin Durant wants of like winning an NBA championship so um and hey great I I get that there's more important things than just basketball you know that's totally fine but um at the same time like you know the things that are happening right now with uh, with Kyrie and the Nets and and everything else. Like it, it just seems like there's just a lot of um, yeah, distractions and lack lack of focus that's happening right now. Um, do I wish that was there a simpler solution <laughs> towards this fight? Yes, yes. It, it's now come to the point where this has become basically a circus. I think um, so. I'm just hoping that this thing just gets resolved for everybody. Uh, yeah, and people just move on to the next thing. So. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think the Nets are, they'd probably be in the best situation to try to move past this, get him back on a court, see what he can put together up until the All-Star break and reassess there. Um, try to get top value for him, at least for a half season, um, you know, see what you can get. But uh, yeah, I think we're beyond the point of like, he's an All-Star caliber asset if you're holding him as a team. I think he is a, an all-world player on the court individually but when it comes to being an asset you know within an organization what can be traded you know traded for him it's it's he's really lost a lot of his value and that was that was last off season that was you know some part of last season as well it's just like yeah it's 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 like you said been an ongoing circus and uh you know this nets organization is uh just just quickly going into the dumpster and uh, yeah i guess final point i would say is i just you know, I've seen a lot of divisiveness, uh, 
you know, online, even with guys like a Jalen Rose, who I have a lot of respect for just in terms of his overall takes in life and on the game and stuff, but like taking a lot of criticism in his, you know, common feeds about, you know, people rushing to this guy's defense and rushing, you know, to support him, to follow his lead. It's like, I would love to see a lot of these issues when it comes to racial tension, a lot of the the wrongs be righted, a lot of the injustices become more just. It's just like, I just hope that, you know, they could rally around a figure, you know, that actually like is consistently, you know, driving good is consistently driving toward, you know, maybe more peace than hate. It's kind of like, I just wish they'd find a figure to rally around besides a guy like Kanye West or a Kyrie Irving. Cause it's like, is this really like, is this really going to be the solution to these problems? I think we touched on that last time, but yeah, just, you know, I'd love to see guys, uh, you know, instead of attacking a guy like Jalen Rose, just try to like build a conversation that actually, you know, uplifts rather than to like just, you know, both sides bashing each other. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. It's like, in a way, I feel like the the message isn't inherently wrong, right? Um, it at least, you know, from what I've garnered from the, you know, kind of the truth aspect of, you know, uh, uh, you know, the the black Hebrews more so of, and kind of the origins of, you know, um of, of the Jewish community. Like, yeah, there's, you know, black Jews and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and that their origins are more so garnered on there where there definitely is a line. It's like, okay, um, well, what about, you know, uh, uh, like are is like our white Jews like impacting and, you know, the black Jewish community, that's something where it's like, well, this is going to get a little confrontational. So, um, yeah, like that's a divisive thing is calling out, one community and and having it oppose another community so that's that's for me where it's like you know what 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 is the outcome what is the end goal that you know that these community that these people that are bashing others online and all what is the end goal that they want right do they want justice what does that justice look like you know Mm -hmm. this is where things get dangerous so um like this isn't this isn't some sort of keyboard game this is real life where people have or people will die if you know things aren't said properly or, or things uh, escalate. So that's where I you know try to side on the on, on the on the side of caution more so with regards to you know uh, how do you word things or how do you say things to other people because what you say does have an impact on them. So, um, um, but yeah, it, it it really just is overall I think unfortunate with. Um, kind of just what's what's uh, kind of transpired, I think, from this whole situation. So, most definitely, um, yeah, we'll see where this goes. We're at seven games again. Um, we'll see how long this lingers on um, off the court. If he does decide to join the team again, uh, if they let him uh, for that, for um, you know, I guess that much. But uh, we'll just see and uh, yeah, move on from there. But uh, I guess turning to the NFL, um, kind of a hard transition here, but. Wayne, just wanted to kick it back to you. We're, you know, we're through week 10 now. Um, we see some teams really rising to the top here, some teams that have utterly disappointed. Uh, do you have anything to point out that, that really stood out to you this past week? How about those commanders, man? <laughs> <laughs> Dude. Taking, out, taking out the Eagles and not now they got what Chase Young coming back. So is it is it Taylor is it is it Taylor Hankey's like uh reign now? Is it his division? He's gonna just gonna like you know, run the gauntlet. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. For the Eagles, like that was, that was such a disappointing uh, loss. I would say, you know, uh, the refs definitely, I think, 
had an impact on the game there. But at the same time, like that's just the nature of the game. So um yeah, Eagles still rock solid team. You know, uh I think they just ran into a very motivated uh team that had nothing to lose. Uh still has some talent and and uh on, on both sides of the ball just yeah they were, they were just really motivated. Uh it was nice to see uh, you know Ron Rivera too. I think he lost a parent. I think it was his mom as well. So uh you know he was definitely on, on high emotions for this week. So I'm um, good for to see him kind of uh you know have a victory in, in that sense. So but you know if I'm an Eagles fan I think it's like hey we'll take this loss. You know hey I know it wasn't against like the the Chiefs or the or the Bills but you know, that's really going to happen, I think, for any team that's, you know, looking to contend. Sometimes teams just lose and then you just have to move forward from there. So, but um, yeah, uh, uh, good win, I think, for the commanders. I think this is like their best, best win of their season by far. So, yeah, what a, what a gutsy win. Um, you know, they've got enough there from like a veteran presence and, you know, some real playmakers on the defensive side, offensive side where they can pull these upsets off. And uh, Taylor Heineke is just, you know, riding this momentum of hey, getting a second chance, you know, being the guy who's, you know, been dogged in these situations where it's like, yeah, you're just not good enough. So we're going to go to the next guy on the depth chart. He kind of like has a uh, Gardner Minshew vibe or maybe like a Nick Foles in his, you know, uh, prime years is like a guy who can just step off the bench and, and lead a team. And uh, I think the guys really like him. They rally around him. You know, we saw the video of him, uh, you know, kind of pulling off the Minnesota Vikings thing with uh, Cousins and Patrick Peterson, two straight weeks wearing uh, everybody's chains. So like he was loaded up last night with a bush light in his hand. It was like nice to nice to see them win. But uh, yeah, it, this victory gets me one step closer to a to a free bottle of bourbon from my father-in-law. So uh, as long as the commanders keep winning, our bears keep, uh, you know, staying stagnant there in the NFC North, uh, you know, everything will be good for me at the end uh, of the year as far as it goes. But uh I guess my own takeaway um, was just watching the Buffalo-Minnesota game. I thought that was one of the most exciting games I've seen all year. I think it was just as good as that uh, Dolphins-Bills game earlier on. Um, I just have different thoughts on both sides. It's like, one, you know, was Josh Allen playing hurt? I'm sure he, you know, his arm wasn't feeling too good. So, you know, how much better would their game have gone had he been at 100% strength? Like, we don't know. Maybe this isn't even a conversation, but... You know, there is some element of his game, you know, watching the Miami one and now this one where he's kind of fumbled a little bit in the clutch. Like he's kind of fumbled uh, literally (laughs) in the clutch. And, uh, you know, that that kind of miss, uh, you know, handle, you know, on the goal line, you know, which led to the touchdown was was obviously huge. Ended the game, um, you know, for the Bills. But it's just like I love everything that Allen brings. And I like everything about this Buffalo team still. Um, I'm not going to overreact too much but you know they they seem like they're vulnerable to being upset like they're vulnerable to you know maybe having everything in place for the big game and then just they get a couple of body blows and it's like oh man now it's a fight and uh you know i guess keeping my eye out like i still think they could be a team that gets a first round by you know maybe they're the maybe they're the two seed maybe they swing it back they can get that one seed but it's like um I'm just a little bit more concerned than I than I was originally. Like I still think the talent's there, the team's there, but it's like they could be susceptible to uh, a playoff loss. Um, outside of that, the Vikings, I mean, stepping up, stepping out, uh, that Justin Jefferson catch was 
one of the best catches I've seen, especially with the context. Um, couldn't really believe how he was able to coddle that ball back in with the defender, like completely on the ball. So I was just kind of mystified watching that, especially in the fourth, uh, fourth down and long spot. So it was just awesome to see that. And, uh, this Vikings team's really gutsy, you know, they're, they're going to play to the end of the whistle, you know, Patrick Peterson coming up with a pair of picks. Um, you know, the offense is seemingly flowing through, uh, you know, Kirk cousins and, you know, Dalvin cook had a long run to the house. Like they've got enough, you know, star power on that offense for sure. Uh, defensively, I've always been kind of in question, like how, how really good is this team when they play elite teams? Like they, they gave up 30 points in this game. So it wasn't like, They've, they've shown that they can shut another team down. Um, but, you know, they're 8-1, and one, so are the Eagles. So they're both uh, trending their way toward a first-round bye. I'm sure a team like the Vikings would love to have a week off, would love to host a team in Minnesota and their home, and uh, we'll just see. Like, I don't know what the end-all, be-all upside is for this club, but, you know, they're stacking wins and uh, they're staying relevant up there, and they haven't lost uh, too many big games as of yet. So we'll see. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good take. Like, you know, this whole uh, Vikings team, man, uh, they got some swagger. Uh, yeah, you know, from the the, the chain gang with uh, the Kirk Cousins and you know Adam Scheffler, like imitating him, right? It's, I, I guess, yeah, they're they're having a lot of fun uh, and they're having a lot of fun winning. So, uh, it, it's like Justin Jefferson, man, this guy. Uh, best like he's got to be like one of the best uh, in for the running for like best offensive player you know uh this season so but yeah it, it I, I think you know in terms of their defense too and what they bring to the table uh they they definitely have like a lot of like solid players i would say you know uh you know if patrick peterson like this was like five years ago like super but still like they have a lot of i think solid pieces overall on the on the defensive side uh and they make enough plays on the offensive side especially with uh, Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook, right? Um, you know, to to make those plays to help them win games. So I think that's just where they, you know, stand out, have a you know pretty solid offensive line overall. So you know that enables them to make those plays and Kirk Cousins to like you know not screw up or whatever. So, uh, but I do like actually your point right now with um, Josh Allen of like there's been a number of instances where at least this season, right, where they were kind of expected to win. They it looked like they that the Things were turning in favor for them to win, but then you know a fumble happens, a, a bad interception, and you know um, that's kind of like how they've lost three games so far. So uh, you know this is kind of a good, uh, I, I guess you know issues to have right now in the regular season. Like hopefully you know Josh Allen, who I definitely think is hurt. You know there's definitely been reports of him you know being injured and such. So uh, I think he's just kind of want to tough it out. So. Uh, I, I think it's good for them to kind of ha- get get it out of their system, if you will, uh, right now, rather than you know doing these things in the playoffs. So um, hopefully, you know, if I'm a Bills fan, like that's kind of the route that they go more so of, rather than you know fumbling in the Super Bowl or something that are fumbling, you know, in the AFC Championship. Um, that's where I can see that you know obviously be more more of the problems there. But you know, kudos to the Vikings. This is a really fun team, I think. Um, did I don't think it, that many people expected them to be kind of having the run that they are right now, but um, they're playing with a lot of swagger, a lot of fun. Justin Jefferson, you know, offensive MVP candidate for sure. So, yeah, and then like, if you honestly think about the uh, the NFC, like, think about the best teams in the NFC, and like, 
who their quarterback is at this point. Like I think a guy like a Kirk Cousins, like if he was going up an elite team with Tom Brady at the helm or Aaron Rodgers at the helm of like a you know a dominating Packers team, like that'd be a little bit more imposing. But like if you're getting into the playoffs and like Jalen Hurts is part of the best team, you know, in your conference, or you know, you're going up a kind of a a fledgling Buccaneers team, I think is kind of back on the upswing, but like has had a fledgling season with Brady, who's like you know, 45 years old and you look out West it's Geno Smith, you know, it's like get to the, you know, you just kind of look around like Dak Prescott hasn't always been, you know, the most consistent, you know, quarterback Daniel Jones is kind of like been the laughing stock of the league for, for years past. It's kind of like, this could be a year where like, if everything clicks right, like Minnesota can find their way in the Super Bowl, and it wouldn't be like completely mind blowing, you know? So, you know, I still love the, the roster around the Eagles as far as like, who is the most stacked team in the NFC. I think there's that case for Dallas and we've talked about the Bucks, and, and even the Niners is kind of like a dark horse, but like it's time to take, you know, Minnesota more seriously for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess moving on to, you know, some other takes uh, I, I definitely did want to talk about the, the 49ers who you just mentioned there. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they just beat the, the chargers who, who they've definitely been beaten up, but Hey, wins a win. Uh, so, you know, moves up to the 49ers, five and four, um, you know, have played really well since they got Christian McCaffrey. Uh, and, you know, that that offense definitely has flowed a little bit better, uh, you know, some trick plays here and there. But, you know, I, I think that was kind of expected uh, from the 49ers just to be a better overall team because of this. So, um, you know, the the Chargers, they, they kind of did hold uh, Christian McCaffrey to, what, 38 yards on 14 carries, so not too much production. But, you know, uh, uh, they they made the uh, 49ers offense like they try to have other players beat them, uh, and they did to a certain extent. But you know, they didn't score too many points. So, and I think that's just kind of like you know the 49ers brand of football at the moment. Uh, just make enough plays on the offensive side. Don't screw up too much. Uh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, no interceptions. That's yeah. kind of the way that they go, right? Uh, play and then play solid defense. Uh, holding the Chargers to 16 points here. So um, there's a lot, I think, bright side, I think, uh, you know, for the 49ers. Uh, I know they usually do pretty well in the playoffs. So, um, you know, if they can get there, great. Uh, I think, you know, we'll see how they uh, are the rest of the season. But it seems like they're kind of turning the corner to their season. And, um, yeah, we'll see. But it seems like uh, they're 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 pushing forward to, you know, having uh, either making the playoffs or making a good run there. So. Yeah, I mean, this is a 49ers win. I mean, that defensive line was stifling. Like, Nick Bosa was just getting so many pressures, so many, you know, hurries and sacks and such on defensive side. It's just like they play so fast. They're so aggressive. And then from, you know, just the offensive perspective, it's like, if I'm Jimmy G, I'm just like, hey, I've got Debo, I've got CMC, i got George Kittle. When all those guys are on the field together, my job is just not F this up and just dink and dunk or, you know, hand off or, you know, make the smart read here or there, but uh, this is a this is one of those teams where it's just like they are going to be one of those dark horse teams that I think like just continues to kind of rise up. I like what the Bucks are doing too. They're slowly starting to you know string together some victories here. I mean, these are the kinds of teams. So it's like they just kind of hide in the trenches, and then like once we get to the playoffs, it's like they just kind of emerge and go on that little run. So uh, we'll see where this one goes. Very exciting, at least in the NFC and. Uh, yeah, it's too bad about the Chargers. I think I saw um, a chart that actually so showed the percentage of 
you know, injured starters as a team. And it's like the Chargers are the very top of that list in terms of like the amount of destruction that team has gone through. I mean, you could just keep on going. You have offensive weapons, guys on the defensive side of the ball. It's like they've been absolutely, de- you know, you know, decimated at this point by injury. And it's like, it's going to kind of chalk this up as like, you know, Herbert's having a great year. Eckler's always a stud. It's just like, however far they can take them, like, I'm not going to think too much about it as far as like the team goes, it's just really too bad. And hopefully, you know, if this team can uh, get healthy again, whether it's this year or next, it's like, I would just love to see them like reach their true potential as a, as a team. Cause uh, this just kind of sucks for the game of football, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we spoke about it in the, you know, the preseason. They're probably the one of the most talented teams, like maybe like top five, top three, even uh, talented teams in the NFL. And, you know, when all that talent's injured, then, you know, you kind of have, you know, average mediocre type of talent uh, then to back them up. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, we can go throughout the entire roster that is just not playing right now. And you, we, we definitely see that impact. So it, it, it almost kind of is, I feel like, like how the, the Ravens were last year, where they just kind of hit those injuries um, a little bit later in the season, but uh, also in the beginning. But, yeah, th- this team has – a lot of talent, just all of them are hurt at the moment. So, but um, yeah, definitely see, I think, you know, better things to come. I think, you know, hopefully I think for them next year. So, yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. Uh, do you have another take? I don't know if I have many more takes to go, but I will say, um, you know, watching watching the Bears drop one at, at home to the Lions. I mean, that's kind of like, it's like worst case scenario. I feel like every year, uh, you know, that's like a, that's like a W like in the books, like no matter for the best team in the league or the worst team in the league, like you're beating Detroit at home. And, uh, you know, I, I like watching this progression of Justin Fields, especially over the last four weeks, like his fantasy production is off the charts. Like I think he is the top player, like overall over the last four weeks or so, but, uh, you know, I'm just loving his confidence. I'm loving the swagger he's bringing. He had that one, you know, goal line play where he kind of dusted off. I think it was maybe Aiden Hutchinson and then just seriously lowered the shoulder and just like knocked their safety back. It was like in for the score. I was just like, that's just kind of like, I didn't see that in him. Like the speed. Yes. But like just that like aggressiveness and confidence. Like I love watching that kind of grow within him. And, uh, you know, no chase Claypool has been like completely absent in the, you know, the box scores over the last couple of games and being a bear, but it's like, that's kind of where he's going to be. I think for at least the rest of this season, it's like, they're not really like a deep ball type team. I mean, I feel like just let Justin Fields, like do his thing, like in his own unique way, like let him be his own guy, let him like kind of let him learn what it is that makes him successful in this game. And then however those surrounding pieces can support that, like it'll be to his benefit. So it's like, I almost look at him as like you got to treat him like Lamar Jackson. You got to bolster that offensive line, maybe get him some good blocking, dual threat tight ends. You know, maybe it's just an, a guy who's just running slant routes, X routes, little like, you know, hooks and stuff, like, you know, kind of more of a short pass type receiver with some speed. It's like maybe a guy like a Claypool is like looking more for the deep ball or whatever else, like just, just technically doesn't really fit, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, at least, um, you know, we got to the end of the year with Claypool to make like, a bigger contract decision, but uh, yeah, I mean, overall um, it just, I, I like where this was going, but to see him come up short against the Lions, I was, was completely disappointed because I thought they'd take care of business easily. 
Yeah, no, I, I, in a way, I felt like this was the perfect loss for them in that, hey, they made a lot of great strides, but then, you know, uh, they, yeah, they'll cough up a lead uh, at the end there uh, because, hey, the Bears don't have a defense, really. They don't have playmakers on the, on the defensive side of the ball at the moment, um, uh, at least in the front seven, really, to make that impact. So, uh, but I do like what I'm seeing from Justin Fields. I really do. Uh, and I'm looking forward, like, I've been doing, like, drafts every single like mock drafts every single day just to see so the one good thing about this loss you know against the lions albeit was that they moved up in the draft rankings i think they were like you know maybe i think they were like ninth or something like that now they're six overall so um you know hey which you know in 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 an nfl draft you know that can mean a lot so um and i think two weeks ago they were like 14th or something like that too so uh, moving up there, uh, but then at the same time, we're seeing Justin Fields and all that he can do. You know, I'm just, I think, you know, I think it's like, nice to see. I think they're basically just having J- Justin Fields just ha- having fun out there, playing his, uh, you know, using, utilizing his skill set, obviously utilizing his legs because it's interesting. I think I was looking at some stats of uh, like how he really didn't run like over 500 yards at, like ever when he was with Ohio state, but now he's like, uh, what, almost 800 yards, I think rushing so far for, for the bears, um, you know, projected to be like, you know, get almost like 1300 yards or something. So, um, it's, it's kind of astonishing to see like how he's utilized in this offense. But, uh, I, I think there's just, just kind of really shows like there's a lot of room to grow. Um, yeah, they've been scoring what 30 points the past like what three semi games. So it has like he has like one of the best pass passer ratings, I think, in the entire NFL. So uh it no, it's it's really exciting to see. Um at, at, so I, I think you know, maybe draft a wide receiver, but if they depending on how far they move up, you know, it's either wide receiver or defensive playmaker, I'm feeling so on the draft. Uh, but you know, I, I, I think going forth as if you're a Bears fan. This coming off season, I think, will be instrumental. I think going forward, uh, Justin Fields' future and kind of building off that, just because you know, hundred plus million dollars in salary cap, you know, and all the draft capital in the world now. So I, I think it's just a lot of excitement. So hey, bring on the losses as long as you keep on scoring, you know, thirty some odd points. That's totally fine. Uh, and you know, Justin Fields remains healthy. I think that's all I'm kind of looking for at this moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, totally looking forward to this off season with this other you know, loss, I feel like we're now kind of starting to play ourselves into like the lottery seating and stuff for sure. <laughs> and you made a good point about losing some defensive playmakers. Cause when you're down, you know, Robert Quinn and Rokon Smith, I mean, those are you know, two core, you know, anchor pieces for that D and now it's like got a pretty young secondary and stuff. So a lot of guys are probably learning on the fly as they go here. So um, we're going to probably go through some tough times. I think I saw the schedule and there's like, two or so I think winnable games out of the set that we have. So maybe we end up like a five and 12 type of record, Um, but we'll just have to see. I mean, we'll see how this team, you know, finishes up here for the year, but uh, in general, I am looking forward to uh, what's ahead for the bears. So hopefully they, uh, you know, can bounce back uh, in 2023 and onward. Yeah, for sure. Um, And with all that, I'm, I'm I'm looking at food since I know we, we always <laughs> like to talk about food at the end of which is funny because we shoot at night so it's like <laughs> I I'm like all right I'm sal I'll salivate after this probably um, and go to bed like hungry which is never a good thing but um, you know uh, Thanksgiving is right around the corner uh, Pat would love to hear 
what are your favorite uh, Thanksgiving dishes? It's a good question, Wayne. Um, I've actually said this to a few friends, but I'm like, I'm not a real Thanksgiving guy. Like I, this is very un-American of me, but I like, I, I feel like there are so many other meals in this world that I would just much rather have. And anytime I've ever said that to people, like I've gotten looks, I've gotten disagreement, but they're it, just, it, it kind of is, uh, it depends on who's the cook, obviously who the cooks are. And it depends on like, how elevated they make that food because to me like just the mix of options is like very heavy very kind of blandish type you know meals that, you know perhaps you could eat you know uh 50 years from now and they didn't probably change all that much over time so it's like i know this is real sensitive but i will say i'll give a shout out to one thing that i really always like to see on my plate and that is stuffing with uh sausage added to the stuffing so like if somebody couldn't like buy some uh kind of like in the sense of like a ground uh sausage patty or something like that and it's kind of mixed in with you know the stovetop stuffing it's seriously the best thing ever and i can eat like half a plate of just that and then some turkey and i'm like i'm good are you but do you do you yeah. need gravy on on your turkey as well is that is that a given or, or how do you yeah yeah yeah. No, I, I like turkey, like, you know, gravy on the turkey and stuff like that. I mean, I'm so I'm so accustomed to eating turkey, just uh, like almost on a daily basis with sandwiches or just like straight up or, you know, I like to season it with uh, Italian seasoning and, and, you know, oils and things like that, just to kind of like bring out its natural flavor, just give it like a little bit more pop. But like, no, I'm definitely down with gravy. You know, I'm throwing it on the potatoes. It's going on the stuffing. It's hitting the turkey. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, like a lot of dislikes and you know, bad comments and stuff, but like, that's kind of my take on Thanksgiving. But uh, wait, I'm, I'm gonna kick that back to you. I want to know like your favorite sides or like what you think of the whole holiday, the eating and and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my, I mean, my favorite cuisine uh, or dish, I should say, um, it, it's probably gonna be like some good old ham, uh, uh, some like honey honeyed up ham essentially. So. Uh, I think I think the best one's like from Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. So, oh yeah, man. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, <laughs> some good old country ham, I think. Uh, I love a good ham. You know, uh, kind of mix that with some mashed potatoes. Uh, I, I mean, the thing is, like with turkey, you know, I feel like with turkey, um, it, it definitely is a hit or miss. It definitely depends on who's making it. Uh, but yeah, with a good old ham, like there's just a lot of natural flavors that are already kind of prepared and baked in there. So um yeah with regards to turkey though it's like you know it has to be either basted a bunch and i think that's where a lot of people just miss the mark um or just fry it you know just fry a turkey <laughs> and don't burn your entire house and village down i think that's the key thing so um you know that's that's how i view turkey and and eating overall but um i will say uh one of my other kind of oddball type of uh family meal or, or family dishes though it, uh desserts that more so uh are uh are jello squares actually um <laughs> every every thanksgiving uh me and my family we usually have uh jello squares uh from a uh a dear family member uh called uh, we, we we call her nanny uh it's not her actual name it's her kind of a nickname because she's kind of like a nanny for all of us or whatever so um but yeah uh you know just guess pictures you know, five foot nothing or maybe four foot 11, you know, Filipino woman or whatever, just making jello squares. Like that's just a lot for us. So 
um definitely enjoy that like from a sentimental level so uh to the point that you know some cousins that i grew up with you know a lot of people have moved all across the country uh but they will ask for those jello squares specifically <laughs> made by uh by nanny essentially so is she is this is are these jello squares like just traditional jello or does she do something to like kind of dial it up I don't think so. I think they're pretty traditional. I think <laughs> I, I think what she does is that she mixes like I, I think there's like a grape flavor and like that cherry flavor. I think she mixes it. I, I think is is kind of her recipe. So mixes it a little bit. So you know, kind of gives multiple flavors there. Um, but so you know, I think that's like the key thing there. But yeah, I think the other ingredient that was just good old fashioned love, and I think that's where you know people want it from. Uh, all all across the country so yeah. yeah the thing about thanksgiving is kind of funny too it's like i think i touched on like things i like but then there's just like so many things i don't like that i just see around the table and stuff i'm just like trying not to be rude to like this you know acquaintances family members or whatever it's like you don't see very often it's like <laughs> no i don't want to like an extra scoop of sweet potatoes with burnt marshmallows on them or i don't want the green bean casserole with like the french onion soup and like you know, chips on top or whatever else, or, you know, it's just kind of like, I look around and sometimes there's like jello with like whipped cream on top. It's like real goofy and shit. I'm just like, I go across the table and I'm just, these are all the standards, you know, I'm pointing out all these standards and I'm just like, if I take a scoop, it's like, I barely flick any onto my plate. And then I'm just like, it's, it's basically all Turkey, all stuffing. And then I'm just one plate and done. And uh, it's it's very un-American, but in the same sense, I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. Man. It just it yeah. just doesn't doesn't speak to me as much as other things do. Or yeah, that, yeah, that green bee casserole. That's so funny you mentioned that because it's like, I feel like you know, I went I went to a friend's giving potluck, um, and you know, there were like three or four different kinds of green green bee casserole. Uh, you know, some had like a mixture of bacon in them and. You know, uh, some had, I guess, like butternut squash, like all, all. but it, it's like, how, like, can we do better? Like, why can we have four different kinds of like, you know, I don't know, deep dish pizza or steaks or something like that? Like, you know, what, who, who in the right, right mind is like, oh, I'm thinking of having an awesome meal. Let me make green bean casserole. Like, I, I feel like that it just needs to be elevated a little bit more on there. So, um, yeah, I feel like. You know, if this is going to be an American holiday, like let's let's upgrade our palates a little bit more. Let's try some other things, you know. No, and that's that's part of my problem. It's like a lot of these tastes are like brought from like the 1950s. You know, you're like sitting there and you're like, yeah, like thanks for the canned cranberry that you just opened up <laughs> and you got for 10 cents at like, you know, you had a dent in it at Jewel. So you got like a 10 cent cranberry yeah. can that you're serving us. And it's like, have they have we not, a, a, you know, adapted over time with culture and with spices and flavors it's like i almost wish like i could go to another you know, like culture's family thanksgiving just just so they'd throw different food on the plate and i'd be like oh great like you know we've got a filipino feast here like i can dig into you know whatever it could be lumpia or you know just different um you know mixes of food and, and things of that nature it's just like instead yeah. we're kind of stuck with these like <laughs> tv dinners uh <laughs> blown up and then you know served on a on a platter for us all to eat uh for five or six hours yeah yeah well why is it that the standard american uh thanksgiving has basically been re regulated to you know 
uh, a somewhat elevated Boston market, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. complete shit. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know what it is, but um, yeah. Uh, regardless, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I don't know exactly what I'm going to be eating, but yeah, very much always looking to just taking some time off and relaxing. So yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, I guess with food, I just wanted to flag that. Uh, Domino's is, uh, you know, really, really looking at our pocketbooks this holiday season and saying, you know, world, you guys have been treated like trash over these <laughs> last couple of years, I would say, but like definitely, you know, from summer on and, uh, you know, we're going to give you 50% off all your orders from, uh, you know, a couple of days ago through November 20th, which is, uh, you know, I believe it's this Saturday, Sunday. Um, in any case, go out order some pizza, order some cheesy bread, some wings, subs, pastas, whatever your thing is. 50% off. Doesn't come around too often. Uh, these days, especially when bags of chips are now like five fifty, and, you know, if you want to buy eight seltzers, it's like $30 now. So like, you know, just get out there, take advantage of this good deal. If you're hungry, if you're hosting a party or what have you, and, uh, you know, thank Domino's for, for, uh, their generosity this, uh, this holiday season. You know, I I just I uh, thank you for mentioning that, but I, I I just bought some frozen pizza that I plan on eating actually. So, uh, but that sounds like a great deal. I'll probably take advantage of it this weekend. You can never have too many pizza. I feel like so. Yeah. Yeah, and if anything, you know, just like put in an online order, gift it to a friend. Just like some cheese bread just shows up at their front steps. Like they'll thank you later. So just you know, pour money into Domino's. They're clearly you know, trying to grab market share or improve their stock performance in some way. And, yeah. you know, they'll screw us later on down the road, but like, <laughs> Hey, this week go screw Domino's. Yeah. You know, Domino's is a very interesting <laughs> company. Uh, if you want to look at their stock, I think somebody did analysis of them and like the Fang stocks, like Microsoft's and like the, the Facebook's and, and Google's and all that. They, they, they outperform those guys. Like they're better than them. <laughs> you know, it's pretty crazy. Like pizza is just, you know, they're they're a very interesting company. Um, I think I think their CEO said like, yeah, we're actually a, more more of a logistics company that serves pizza. So um, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'm with you, man. I've heard that like we're a tech company or whatever. It's like yeah. you're, you're not lying because like your <laughs> your app is like spot on. You know, they got like the whole experience from end to end, and it's uh, you know they're definitely far ahead of their uh, competitors in that sense, and probably still are today. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that whole revamp after the uh, the viral videos of uh, <laughs> the employee playing with pizza somewhere. Like that definitely helped mm -hmm. them for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think them and like Chipotle and like Starbucks have like the best apps, I, I think for, you know, those businesses. So, and yeah, their stocks obviously <laughs> have done pretty well, uh, you know, in more recent years, I guess. So um, yeah, it's a digital age. So, but yeah, I'll definitely be ordering Domino's I think this week. So. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, maybe we can uh, recap in our next convening on uh, how we took advantage of this crazy deal. And, uh, you know, if we're not shooting before Thanksgiving, then we'll also recap on that and see how we're both uh, doing after the holiday, whether we gained, you know, uh, a couple pounds or, you know, a couple inches on the waistband. So we'll figure all that out. If we don't catch you before the holidays, uh, I'll wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving, um, whether you love the food or you don't you know, get together with people you care about and care about you and, and have a good time. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Take care. Uh, yeah. Be kind to one another and 
yeah, just wish each wish each and every one of you all uh you know a good weekend going forward. So cool. all right. Well with that, that's Wayne Pua. I'm Patrick Miller signing off for the Ball and Breakfast Podcast.